we seem to live in a world, don't we, that has uh, less and less of a grip on truth. We uh, hear uh, all sorts of funny phrases, funny to me at least, uh, come out of the mouths of people we don't expect them from, like uh, world leaders who call journalists fake news uh, or who claim alternate facts. But of course, the only reason really that um, some such leaders are able to do that is because they're, they're actually striking on a little bit of truth, aren't they? I remember this uh, horrible realisation I had one day where every time the newspaper would write about something I knew about, so they might write an article about something happening in the life of the church or some other issue that I was uh, sort of actually involved with, and I'd always think to myself, uh, that's not quite right. They haven't quite got their head around this issue and they've sort of done a poor job of reporting it. And then I remember thinking to myself, it's funny, isn't it? Because these same people are the people I trust to sort of make my decisions about what's good and bad in the whole wide world and they can't even get my local church issues right. It's just kind of a horrifying realisation that it's hard to know who to trust. It's hard to trust uh, a local paper about a lo local issue, how much should we uh, put in their uh, knowledge of bigger things? Where do we find truth in a post-truth world? How do we see light from dark? This is a live question that our world is wrestling with. See, in America, they... Uh, uh, the government created a disinformation board uh, which then got taken down uh, because people didn't think that the government should be the arbiter of what was true or not. How do we deal with misinformation and distrust and truth? How do we know what to believe? Well, I want to suggest that Jesus gives us an answer, an answer that helps us discern ultimate truth. We look to him, the light of the world. But before we kind of dive into our reading today and see what that means for us and how we can understand what is true, let me just note, uh, if you've got your Bible open uh, there to John chapter 8, you'll notice, won't you, that uh, where Andrea left us last week and where I'm picking up this week, uh, there's a gap. Uh, there's another story, but uh, if you've got an NIV uh, or some other translation, uh, in the, the NIV, it's, it's got that section, verses uh, chapter 753 to 8.11, those verses are in italics and brackets. And the NIV starts off with these words, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7.53 to 8.11, a few manuscripts include these verses wholly or in part after John 7.36, John 21.25, Luke 21.38 or Luke 24.53. So that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, because that uh, doesn't happen often in the Bible where you open your Bible and the Bible tells you, hmm, here's a bit of the Bible that may not belong in the Bible or it might belong in the Bible but it doesn't belong it probably doesn't belong in this part of the Bible, though it does have verse numbers and chapter numbers that relate to this part of the Bible. So we're just going to put it in italics and brackets and leave it there. That's a little bit confusing. 
and it's a, it's a relatively serious issue. And what I've come to decide, as I've read uh, probably a little too much about or what, what to make of these verses, is that here we have a passage uh, of scripture that is likely a story that happened uh, to Jesus. It's, it's likely a true story. It's certainly a story where Jesus reflects uh, uh, the kind of things we might expect him to do and he applies principles that we can find in other parts of scripture. But it's a, it's a story that doesn't belong right here, right now, in this part of John. So it's a useful story, a story that teaches us things and applies uh, scripture uh, in, in a useful and good way. But it's a story that we need to look at another time and we will look at it another time. But for us today, in the middle of the flow of John's gospel... We need to skip over it uh, because, uh, as you see, if you just read from the end of uh, chapter 7, verse 52, and then pick up at verse 12, as we've done, Jesus is still kind of in the flow of this story, this story that uh, began back in chapter 7. So let's uh, remind ourselves of that. You'll remember, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, you can go have a listen online, that the, Jesus is at the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Festival of Booths. This is a feast where God's people remind themselves of God's promise that he would have living water flow from the temple, a river of life that would bring life to all and, and to the world. In Ezekiel 47, you can read the, the, the prophecy, uh, part of which they were remembering at this festival. And Jesus says, as we heard last week in chapter 7, verse 37, that he is the, he's the fulfilment of this promise that they're remembering at this festival. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He stands up and he says... That prophecy was pointing to me. And if you drink from this well, from me, if you trust me, if you find your satisfaction for your soul in me, then your thirst will be quenched and you can bring the water of life to others. And of course you can hear more about what that looks like if you listen to our sermon last week. Now there's some debate about what happens next. But we know that scholars uh, have looked at the historical record and many other sources and uh, that the festival uh, was likely still continuing when we get to John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus speaks again to the people and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And what these scholars who know uh, lots about the past tell us is that at the end of this big festival of booths where they would come together and remember all this stuff and where Jesus has already made this claim, the next thing that they would do at the, sort of towards the end of the festival is they would light big golden lamps. Big golden lamps would be lit in the temple courts and the festival, uh, the festival would continue. People would sing and dance and feast. And these lights were so bright that they would kind of the light would spill out from the temple and kind of illuminate Jerusalem. 
Now, of course, on one level that doesn't sound very interesting to us because we're used to it being light at night. But for them, they were not. And so it would have been of note to think, wow, tonight I don't need to go to bed when the sun goes down. I I can party. The power of light to uh, uh, enable this festival to continue into the darkness. And in that context, as the temple is uh, brought to life, Jesus claims to be the light of the world. A very vivid claim in a very real and vivid way. And of course the claim is not just significant because they've lit some lanterns, so I guess that must have made it uh, more striking, just as Kerry shining torches uh, down here to the children made her the, 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 the talk of light more striking to them, so Jesus' claim to be the light of the world as the, as the temple courts are lit up must have been striking to the people of the day. But it's not just significant because of that, it's significant because the Old Testament gives uh, great um, context to, to what light does when it comes to God and his people. Light in the Old Testament refers to God's presence, God's salvation, and God's revelation. Let me just read to you from a few Psalms to show you this. Uh, To God's presence, Psalm 4, verse 6. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Let, Let us be aware of your presence with us. God's salvation, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? God comes and saves the people from their enemies. And God's revelation, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path, directing people into how to live as God's people in the world. And so Jesus, as he stands uh, in the context of this festival, as the, as the lamps are lit, uh, as they're remembering the Old Testament promises of God, he stands up, he says, I am the light of the world. He's saying to the people, I am God's presence. I am God's salvation. I am God's revelation. I will bring new life to the world and show you the true way to live. And of course, John has already been preparing us for this uh, and telling us about this theme of, of light versus darkness and how Jesus is the light. Way back in chapter 1, verse 9, he says of Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Jesus is the light who helps us see truly. But of course, it's a light that people uh, want to shield their eyes from, want to turn away from. And in John chapter 3, as he uh, reflects on uh, the teaching of Jesus and he tells us of God's love for us, that he sent his only son in verse 16, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, that reflection continues. And in verse 19, he says, this is the verdict, light Jesus has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus, making this claim that he is the light of the world, is a big claim. And it's a claim that's easy to miss. And the Pharisees, as the story unfolds after this uh, claim that Jesus makes, show us how easy it is to miss the light when we love the darkness. And I want to illustrate this both uh, through the questions they asked Jesus in our chapter and our reading today, but also uh, by taking us back into chapter 7 for a moment. You get this sort of crazy story at the end of chapter 7 about the Pharisees and just how obvious it is that they've missed the light. The Pharisees are, are, are worried about Jesus. They're worried about the fact that people are calling him the Messiah. They're nervous about what that means for their kingdom that they've built for themselves. And so that we read in verse 32 of chapter 7, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, that he was the Messiah. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. And how does that go? Well, the temple guards go and they sort of hear Jesus talking and teaching and they go back to the chief priests in verse 45 without Jesus. And the, the Pharisees say, why didn't you bring him? And their answer in verse 46, no one has ever spoken the, man, the way this man does. Right? The temple guards, they've gone, they've heard Jesus, and they're amazed by him. And they're like, I think the Pharisees might have asked us to arrest the wrong guy or something. Like, you know, this, this can't be right. This guy's, like, have you heard? They, might, they just obviously haven't listened to him. This is really interesting stuff. We'll go back without him. And their answer you mean he has deceived you also? We know best. You, you silly guards, do your research, educate yourself. You will know better than to believe that this peasant from Galilee couldn't possibly be the Messiah and he must be arrested. Even in the face of all the evidence, the miracles, the teaching, the Old Testament prophecies pointing to this time, they've still missed the light. And they're still missing it in chapter 8 as Jesus makes this claim. They come to him and they challenge him. Verse 13 of our reading today. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. You're making some big claims, Jesus, while you're at this festival. The, the living water, the light of the world. But it's not valid testimony. You can't just walk in and say this stuff about yourself. And Jesus answers by explaining to them that he has a unique and special relationship to God, his Father. That means he can. If you or I did it, of course, the Pharisees would be right. But if the Messiah, the, the true Son of God comes, then he's able to do things we are not. So Jesus answers, 
Even if I testify on my own behalf, verse 14, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from and where I am going. I can say the things I say, and it's true, because Jesus, I, he says, am the, the one who carries a different weight of authority because of my relationship to God the Father. The Pharisee's problem is that they're sort of stuck on the wrong wavelength. They need a total paradigm shift. Jesus is not just some other rabbi who's come and, uh, you know, from a long line of rabbis and who's had been to the right school of rabbiing. No. He is the light of the world. He's the anointed one of God. He is the only one who has this unique and special relationship with the Father, which he goes on to outline as he continues to sort of uh, be questioned and challenged by the Pharisees in the rest of our reading. We see his unique relationship in verse 16. Jesus stands with and is sent by the Father. If I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus' authority comes from the Father. Verse 18, I am the one who testifies for myself and my other witness is the Father who sent me. And Jesus speaks for the Father. Verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. And everything Jesus does pleases the Father. Verse 21, 29, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. No one else can say any of this, that they always do what pleases the Father, that they are speaking for the Father, that their authority comes directly from him, that we, they stand with and are sent by the Father. These are big claims but they're claims that back up his, his first claim to be the light of the world, the one who has come into the darkness to show the true way to be with God. And I think this invites us to consider what are we going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with this guy from the first century who claims to be the one where our souls will find satisfaction, the one whom is the light of the world, the one who brings salvation, the one who shows us truth, the one who brings us to God. I think we see two options in this reading today. We see the Pharisees who love the darkness, just as John describes it throughout his gospel. They're blind to the light. And they, they, they continue in this blindness by just kind of ask, they just ask endless questions. We see it here. Where is your father, they say in verse 19. It's right, okay, to approach Jesus with a little bit of scepticism and try and figure stuff out and, and work through your issues. But for the Pharisees, it's a constant questioning and poking and trying to prove that they're right and he is wrong. And there comes a point for everyone 
where questions become a cover for what's truly going on in our hearts, which is that we don't want Jesus to be the light, even though it's clear that he is. And we use questions to cover for our love of darkness. Remember what John said back in chapter 3, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And we know this of the Pharisees as their story unfolds in the gospel. They loved power, control, prestige. And ultimately, these were the things that they worshipped instead of God. And so when God showed up, they missed him. They hid behind questions and their sense of superiority because they loved darkness. And we can do the same. Plenty of people dismiss Jesus because they like to be in control of their own life, because they enjoy the benefits that come from being a secular person in a secular society. There's all sorts of reasons why people don't want to follow Jesus. I had a friend once, hard to believe, I know, had a friend who was talking, uh, who I used to talk with about faith, and one of their big arguments as to why they weren't a Christian was because they believed in science. Uh, And as I would sort of say, well, me too. Uh, and we would sort of have conversations. Eventually, I, I think we sort of got to the point in our conversations where believing in science wasn't really a good reason to not believe in Jesus anymore. Like, we kind of... I, I never got him to admit that, but, like, I knew I was winning the argument, right? And... As things kind of went on, it it sort of became pretty apparent to me that whatever random apologetic question I had to answer, the relationship between science and religion or, um, you know, whatever it might have been, all of these questions were covers for his love of darkness. He knew that if he believed that Jesus was the light of the world, then Jesus had a claim on his life and would require him to live in a certain way, which he just didn't want to do. He enjoyed the benefits that he saw his life lived his way, bought him. They may or may not have revolved around women. He loved the darkness. But the light has come. God has made himself known in Jesus. And if we're not going to respond with endless questions like the Pharisees did, which cover up what's going on in our hearts, which is that we actually love darkness, not light, how will we respond differently? Well, we see another way to respond, don't we, in the, in the reading today. It's not just the Pharisees. There's plenty of other people, like the guards back in chapter 7. 
like many in the crowd, verse 30, even as he spoke, as he spoke, many believed in him. And that's the option and the opportunity that is before us today. To hear Jesus claim to be the light of the world and to respond to that with belief, to trust Jesus. Because he is the fulfilment of God's promises, the bringer of living water, the light of the world that brings salvation and brings us into God's presence, who shows us how to live a life that truly satisfied, satisfies. Jesus' claims are not to be taken lightly, but they are not to be ignored either. The question for all, all of us is who do we believe Jesus to be. And if he is who he says he is, then the response he requires is trust. Let me read to you his words again. When Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me uh, invite you to allow this truth to so satisfy your soul and to fill your heart and mind as you walk in the lightness of life. Amen. Amen.